Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fully Booked, the Hidden Gems author podcast in which Craig Touch and myself, Roland Hume, chat to some of the uh, leading lights and most interesting figures in this crazy industry we're in of self-publishing and writing. And today, both Craig and I are absolutely delighted to have a Mr. Nathan Cole as a guest. Nathan Cole is a bit of a mentor to, to me, at least. I'm, I'm sure Craig feels the same way. He is, uh, yeah, a, a, been a... He's a seven-figure author who has helped a lot of other authors also achieve success. So, Nathan, it is a great pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Uh, It's fantastic to be here. I'm doing quite well. Um, I've had a few years of difficulty, challenges, but things have sort of calmed down a bit in my life, and I'm back to sort of what I love, which is sitting here in my writing office and putting words out of my fingers. (laughs) Oh Well, we are so happy to speak to you. Of course, we wouldn't be here without the man himself. founder and owner of Hidden Gems Books and an author. It is Craig Touch. Craig, how are you doing today? Doing great. And you're right. We are delighted because, uh, you know, you and I have talked a little bit in in past episodes uh, about how we sort of started uh, around the same time and we came up with with writing in uh, private uh, author groups on the internet um, where everybody was sort of learning things as they go. The industry was changing like crazy and everybody was sort of figuring things out and sharing things. And there was that whole atmosphere of um, everyone, you know, helping each other, bootstrapping each other. And, you know, you succeed, I succeed kind of mentality, which, you know, you can still find sometimes now, but, you know, sometimes it's a little more uh, cutthroat or, uh, you know, not everyone always shares as openly as they used to, but but certainly there are places uh, where where that happens. And, uh, you know, Nathan was one of it was the founding member, I, I think, of that group. And so we've known him for as long as we've known each other. Uh, and so it's great to have him on. And he's a big proponent of uh like me of AI and which is why I wanted to get him uh, on here to talk about it because he knows way more about it than I do. Um, And, you know, he's somebody who can sort of explain to the author community about how it's not only like changing the world and it's going to change the world, but, you know, for you specifically as a writer, how you can use it even now to enhance your writing and um, become more productive and more successful. So let's start out, Nathan, with like just, you know, a bit about yourself and then how you got all interested in the AI thing. And then we can go from there. Sure, sure. I'm I'm a known quantity in a lot of different places online. Some people call me Danny D. Obviously, Nathan is one. Um, I won't sit here and rattle them all off. But if you know me, you probably know me. I've probably helped you at some point or you've read something I've written somewhere because I've put a pile of work out there. Um, obviously, yeah, as you said, I was one of the, if well, I guess the founding member for that community, but one of the founding members for many of them, I've been involved in everything from K-boards on up since about 2013. So I've been uh, in and around the author community for a long time. I'm also a teacher by trade. So um, in my history, I've done a lot of teaching education at a high level all the way up to college level. So I've got a little bit of experience teaching. And so I think that kind of bleeds in and I end up helping and teaching people as I go in everything I do. Um, one thing that I really have held true to myself and, and one thing I think it's important in the author community is uh, I think that being helpful to each other, uh, going in there and not being, you know, the the crabs in a bucket situation, going in and helping each other, lifting each other up. I think it helps all of us. Um, I've done a lot to help a lot of authors, but I feel like I've gotten back more than I've given. Um, Having those author communities has been invaluable. Anyway, uh, as we move toward AI, 
um, as AI has come out, I've been using it for a number of years in lesser ways. And I think a lot of authors have been. Um, if you've ever used Grammarly, ProWritingAid, Hemingway, something like that years ago, you used AI just in a smaller way. And those have actually been expanding over time. If you've used Grammarly lately in a professional way, that thing can replace entire paragraphs. And so we start going from small edits to bigger and bigger editing capabilities of these old AI tools. And then more recently, a couple of years ago, we had a paper come out that was called Attention is All You Need. It came out in 2017, and Google had released some information about these transformer tools, these abilities to to make um, words appear on the page. And since that moment, they've been coming out with more and more complex tools. Um, GPT-2 a few years ago, I think 2019, and then GPT-3 more recently, that was the GPT-3 playground. There are a few tools built around it. And uh, some obviously open source AIs have come out since, like uh, I wanna say GPT-J, Luther um, made one, 20B Neo X is another big one. And then finally, we come to more recently, um, back on the very end of November, beginning of December, uh, OpenAI released something called ChatGPT. And it's a 3.5 version of GPT, the program that is doing this sort of AI writing. And it's different on a, on a level. I'm, I'm going to have a hard time even wrapping into such a short episode. It is emergently powerful. It's capable of doing things that previous AI couldn't. And I think personally, it's probably going to be one of the most important tools for authors to improve their work, to get their work out, to to take their thoughts, their ideas, and turn them into novels and stories. Yeah, I mean, that that's the... So first of all, GPT, you know, you're talking about it in terms of... Uh, it's like the underlying underlying engine almost right behind all this stuff. So, you know, a lot of us, myself included, weren't really aware of all that stuff um, prior to chat GPT. It's kind of like, I think for me, and I probably imagine for a lot of people, it was almost like we went to bed one, one day and, you know, thought uh, if we were giving it any thought, uh, I'll probably never see AI at the level that we see on TV in my lifetime. Maybe when I'm old, it'll be starting to get there, but probably not in any significant way. And then we woke up and people were talking about ChatGPT and we went on there and we're like, wait a second, it's already here. <laughs> like it was like almost an overnight thing. And that for most people, I think, was the first time they even heard about GPT. In fact, you know, I just thought it was part chat. GPT was, you know, chat. Uh, the people who made OpenAI, which of course, founder, one of the founders is Elon Musk, because he's involved in everything that changes the world. Um, you know, we we sort of thought that that was just part of their thing. And it wasn't until like, I went on and started like researching it myself that I realized, no, GPT is this whole thing, like the transformer object that Google created that you referenced before is the T in, in GPT, right? I don't even remember what the G and P stand for. So you can probably tell us, but, but yeah, it's this engine that's been building and building and they're, you know, they're coming out with version four soon as well, which is going to go even further. Right. So, uh, you know, it's, I agree. This is so transformative and it's going to change so many things. And I don't think people really real, realize it yet, just how big this is. Yeah. So it's, it's generated, it's generated, Pre, 
generative pre-trained transformer. That's what it is. So generative pre-trained transformer. Generative, obviously, it's generating text. Pre-trained, meaning it was trained on a corpus of data from the past, and it is here now, but it is not actively training. Although I will point out that newer models are starting to actively train on top of what is there already. Um, to kind of give you a real basic understanding so you understand it without going into like crazy detail here, they took information from the internet like text and they fed it through a model, an algorithm that looks for likelihood of the next piece of text. On a real basic level, that's like when you're typing on your phone and it suggests the next word. The difference here is it can suggest the next 500 words. It can suggest a much longer period. And to understand kind of the, the real basics of how this works, and it's important that you do because it'll help you understand the rest of what we talk about. Um, if you take the words like brown fox, what these programs do is they break that up into things almost like syllables. But the syllables that a tokenizer uses, that these programs use, are not syllables like we understand them in humanity. They might even go across words. So for example, brown fox might have two tokens in the middle, own space foe might be one token. One token might literally be O-W-N space F-O. And you can see in brown fox, that's the interior portion of those two words. So now it looks at that and says, okay, own foe, what are the token that came before it? What's the token that should come after? And it's going to come up with a table, a list of five or six different options that are likely, and it's going to throw a die and it's going to pick one of them. Now, the most likely one is going to have a higher percentage of choice. It's going to be more likely to be picked. The least likely one, less likely, but still could happen. You could roll that die and get a 3% chance and get one of those other words. And so by training this on enough data, they started to get a program in GPT-2, the original versions, that could do a pretty good job of giving you the next word and the next sentence. But what's happened is they realized as we train this on more and more data, we're getting more and more emergent capabilities. And by emergent, I mean things they didn't program into the model, and yet they can happen, they exist. The way I like to think about this is if you look at the wind, the wind blows around, it's fine, it's usually fairly safe, sometimes it can do a little damage, but for the most part, it's fairly invisible, it's just blowing around out there. You can harness it, you can build a big windmill, but it's mostly just wind blowing around, not that crazy. And that's kind of what the early versions of GPT were. They were wind. I mean, you could play with them. You could get a sentence. You could harness them a little, but you couldn't get anything too crazy with it. And then the newer models are more like a tornado. And by that, I mean, it's still wind. But I think we can agree that a tornado is wildly different than wind. It's, it's wind, but it's, it's concentrated. It's almost malevolent. It's destructive. It has a voice. It's dangerous. It can move. It has a visual attribute, a defined shape. And so when you're talking about what these models are today, I, I almost feel like they're more than the sum of their parts. They can do things that they never intended them to do. Um, right. Go ahead. Well, uh, I, from what I recall, I read an article about it, and I think the whole idea, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the whole idea of being able to ask it questions was not something they really thought of as something they were, they were trying to do with it. Um, it was more like 
I forget what the original use was, or or they were, you know, it was something about how they were going to use it for for writing tool as a writing tool or whatever. But but then they realized, hey, I could just ask it a question like I would ask Google, and like somehow it gives me the answer. Like it's not like they tried to make it into this thing that could answer your questions, but that was one of the emergent behaviors, or that it could do math. Like I mean, you can you can get it to do math, you can get it to write poetry. They didn't think, hey, let's let's code this in. Here's how you write a poem. It just it understood that from learning everything. It gets crazier than that too, because what they wound up doing by training it on this, they trained it on a massive amount of data. And so they went out there and they bought data, they purchased data that they could use for this training, big corpus files. There are big companies out there that sell huge amounts of data. A lot of your open, uh, your open AIs that are out there, like a Luther or GPTJ, those were actually trained on things like the pile, a big giant corpus of data that's out there that you can freely download. Um, inside those datas, a little bit of everything. I mean, conversations on the internet, fan fiction, you name it, it's in there, right? And when they did the training, that initial piece of data was huge. Um, for ChatGPT, I think I heard that they trained that thing for 20-something days, nonstop, spent $50 million or something crazy. Forgive me if I'm not 100% right on that. But they spent a lot of money training it because the amount of data was huge. But the resulting file is actually very small. Um, the percentage file could fit on like an SD or whatever, like a, like a small drive or even a little, little tiny micro SD card. It's only about 500 to 800 gigabytes, which is small. I mean, smaller than the, probably smaller than the hard drive you have in your computer. And yet you can ask it just about anything and it can give you an answer, which means in effect, this is probably one of the most efficient, but lossy compression algorithms that's ever been made. They basically put the entire internet in one of these, which is Insane if you think about it. We're getting to a point where the internet could almost be offline. You just own it. Um, one of the reasons that we're not there yet is when it goes to reference this to find some information, it has to read the whole file really, really, really quickly. And the only things that can do that right now are things that can hold that file in working memory, VRAM. And so the only devices we have that really do that commercially today are video cards, like really high end GPUs. So they're running these things on big servers with tons of like A100 GPUs to get it to run. And that's very expensive. But there's no reason why at some point in the future, they can't come out with faster bulk storage. And your computer could just be fast bulk storage and a small processor that can query it. And you would basically have internet in a toaster. I mean, it, the whole internet in a toaster. <laughs> Which I was is, just going to say, it sounds like you're trying to say that by scanning the internet, they were able to basically make like a Minecraft seed. You know how you have a seed in Minecraft where you type it in and it will generate the same world, even though it's like seven letters, it will generate 10 times the earth things exactly the same. So you could auto, you could have that information and then auto generate an approximation of the entire internet. To some degree, but here's where you're going to run into your challenges. So it's, you'd want to say, oh, it can make anything, but that's not really how it works. Think about how it's trained. It's trained on our words. We had intention when we spoke them. So what it can create is what the average of our words would create if we were asked that question. So if you wanted to recreate, say, a specific piece of text, if I wanted it to write Pride and Prejudice again, right? Surely enough people have read it, and there's examples of that in the model. But because it's obviously not copyrighted at this point. 
but that doesn't mean that it can rewrite it because it's going to be going through again, randomly picking percentages, and it's never going to get exactly the right thing. It's just going to get close because it can ask us. It's like, well, what would the next line of Pride and Prejudice be? That also, though, means there are some limitations. We have limitations in terms of uh, how closely it can recreate something, but also there's a big limitation in how much it can remember and work with at any given time. So with ChatGPT, one of the reasons it became so much better is they doubled the memory on this thing. And so with the older AIs, they were limited to about 2,000 characters or so, or 2,000 tokens, I think, actually, if I'm remembering correctly. Anyway, they're limited to about half of what ChatGPT can remember. So as things go further up in a conversation with these AIs, they start to forget the stuff that you used to talk about. So maybe you were standing on a spaceship and you're talking about the spaceship, And then a few minutes later, it's totally forgotten that and you're in a cafe somewhere. And so it has limitations that you have to work around. And that limitation, realistically, is about 1,500 words or about roughly one chapter of a novel. Um, If you're trying to recreate the whole Internet with that, obviously, you'd have to do it in pieces, tiny little pieces. (laughs) Well, I think you just got the the magic thing about novels, chapters, stuff like that. Well, okay, so let's then shift uh, a little bit then and talk about how this is going to help authors specifically like since you know if you can't do a whole novel we're not going to sit down at this point and say hey write me the next pride and prejudice um you know like you said there's randomization and but listen hey infinite monkeys could do it so i'm sure if we ran enough times we we'd come up with it again right but if 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 we were going to use it then what would uh what would authors use it for what is this game-changing thing here that's going to help them and in which ways Sure. Um, Okay. There's a few. And I think it's important to kind of consider them as as separate and together. So uh, we'll start with just the basics. Uh, One of the reasons I actually slowed down my writing, one of the reasons I got into things like ghostwriters or I I stopped writing for almost two years, I took off to teach, um, was because of my hands. I had crippled myself. I gave myself carpal tunnel in both hands. Writing for me was uh, two wrist braces, copper compression gloves, sometimes speech, you know, (laughs) literally speech to text. And so in some ways, AI gave me back my voice. And I, I mean this so, so much because I'm a fast typist. I type 170 words a minute. I'm one of the fastest typists I've ever met, but I can't write that fast. And as my hands have become injured, I can't even write as fast as I used to. So maybe I could write at 40 words a minute or 50 words a minute, just thinking and writing and really getting that rough draft on paper. But with these new AI tools, I can put a thousand words on that paper in a minute. And then I can look at that thousand words. Now, it's not perfect. It needs work. Um, Bear in mind, again, it's picking likely choices. And one of the things that makes reading unique and amazing is that you're often reading things you don't expect. I mean, who wants to read a book that goes exactly how they expect all the way through? That would be very boring. And so it's going to spit something out that that isn't necessarily perfect. It might not even be something that you want to use. The majority of the words that I make with AI, I don't use. But having them there I've found it's really easy to jump in and sort of edit and play with and make changes. And as I make those changes, I can feed that back to the AI and it can write more with those changes in mind. I can sort of steer it. And so the way I call or the way I consider writing with this is something that sort of allows me to have abilities that I used to have, but no longer do. 
Um, it lets me write without pain. I'm able to write significant amounts without hurting. Um, I can finish a novel and I don't have to take a week off. (laughs) Um, And that's nice. That feels good. Um, So I think that helps. It also helps with certain disabilities. Like my daughter has dyslexia and I've helped her write papers with this where she generated all the ideas. She came up with the content, but it helped her edit that content, improve upon it. Um, build it out. It even critiqued her and gave her thoughts as a teacher would, um, telling her ways she could improve it. Because if you know how to prompt the AI, it can do anything that a human can do inside of a 1500 word window. So you have to remember that as long as you can figure out a way to get it to work in that window, you can make it do it. It's very smart. Um, it well, okay, so let's talk about that for a second because, sure. uh, you know, you're saying, you know, you, that it, you can get it to give you a thousand words, but for somebody who's really green to all this, like, how would you do that? Now that gets into the idea of prompting. What is a prompt? So sure. this is this is sort of what we're talking about in terms of, um, you know, how it can write for you or it can do some writing for you in these smaller chunks, but yeah. how does it know what you want to write? How is it going to, you know, sort of like, write a chapter of your book if it doesn't know what your book's about or, you know, what are we talking about here? Sure. There. Okay. So there's numerous ways you can do this. I, I might actually, if you want, it might be easier if I showed you, can I show you something here? Can I like demonstrate? Yes. The only problem is people, some people are listening on podcasts, so I'm not sure if. Uh, sure. Well, I could also read it out. I think that might help. So I'll read it out to you. So basically I want to show it to you and I'll read it out. If you're on YouTube, you'll be able to see it, but otherwise you can read with me. I will read quickly. So what I'm going to pull up here very briefly is a screen. Now this is going to be one of the AI tools. And this I'm in this case, I'm trying to write with it. And in this case, I'm writing a sci-fi book um, about the bellwether, a generation ship launched from earth centuries ago, approaching a derelict alien vessel. They've discovered floating in the depths of interstellar space. What I've done here is I've created a prompt. I've asked it for a scene. I say scene, the bellwether, a generation ship, yada, yada. I wrote that. Now I ask it to send back some response and it sends back a response. And here in this case, if you look at the screen, if you're watching on YouTube, there's a section of text that is white. That white text is text the AI gave to me. So in this case, it said, we have a visual, said Lieutenant Kesselman, one of the ship's two bridge officers. He turned and called over to another officer standing beside his chair, Commander Becker. A moment later, a middle-aged man appeared. It looked like this might be a warship, Lieutenant. He reported after a quick scan through external scanners. Now in this case, I've given it very little backstory. I only told it it's a generation ship that is approaching a derelict vessel. And it's sort of making some things up. It's like, okay, it might be a warship out there floating around. And I could choose to take that and accept that, or I could choose to change it. In this case, I left that paragraph intact, but I did want to kind of steer it again. And so as it stopped, I wrote the next line, which is in blue on this case, if you're watching. It says, is it human? Commander Becker asks, staring out the viewport at the distant object. So in this case, I'm adding to what the AI said. I'm sort of following along. I'm playing with it. Um, One of the things that I really consider that makes me love this sort of writing is it feels like I'm playing a game, like like an old text-based video game. And as I'm playing, I sort of steer it with my words. When I was younger, back in the 90s, I did coding on internet MUDs, which were multi-user dungeons. And you would log in and it was all text-based. It's kind of like a text-based World of Warcraft. And you would go through the world just by typing. And, you know, you'd explore areas and attack monsters and do amazing things and go on quests. This is like that. I'm sort of writing, but I'm sort of playing with the AI. I want to see what it gives back so I can play. Now, in this case, it gave back a paragraph and it says, 
there's not much detail at this range. Now notice it goes into purple. That's because that's where I edited. In this case, I'm editing this line. I didn't like what it gave me. It was saying there's not much detail in range and blah, blah, blah. I had a big section of text, but I want something different. But those protrusions might be weapons or torpedo tubes. It's possible Earth launched more ships after we began our journey. Um, we'll get closer before making a precise analysis. So in this case, I literally just reached into that sentence and made a change. Now, by making that change, I actually changed the thought pattern of everybody in the scene. Because when I hit send again and ask for more words, it's going to use that as part of the context. It's going to use that as part of the, the historical information I've given it. Because like I said, it has a window of memory about 1,500, 2,000 words, give or take. Um, some have more, some have less. It depends on the tool you're using. But the point so you is... You can edit that paragraph or do you have to repost the paragraph? Oh, in this tool, I can edit the paragraph. In some oh. tools, you'd repost the paragraph. It depends on the tool you're working with. They all work differently. And, right. uh, and let's 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 clarify that. So, you know, yes. most people are aware of ChatGPT, yes. but uh, this tool specifically, this isn't ChatGPT, right? You're using one of no. the novel uh, writing tools that is based on GPT uh, technology, but exactly. it's not ChatGPT. This one's actually based on um, open source AI. So it's actually run open source and secure, and they're not using that information to train the model or anything along those lines. Um, when you submit to ChatGPT, one of the challenges there is that they say very plainly right on the thing, we're going to take your information and look at it. And so if you want to write a book that's you know uniquely yours that isn't out there like that, Obviously, that is one consideration. Um, I like having tools that I have more control over. I've been really enjoying using Novel AI and some other tools like it. Obviously, every tool is different. I'm using this one, though, because it has a really robust editor, and it's a good way to kind of show you what you can get from an AI and what changes you have to make to make that good or readable or something that's yours. Um, one of the keys you're going to notice here as I go is I'm not trying to let the AI rate my book. And... There are many reasons for that, but I mean, the biggest one is it really can't. If you keep hitting send, it's going to lose the script incredibly quickly. It doesn't really know where it's going. And AI has a real tendency to summarize. So if you ask it to write a chapter, it's going to try to summarize a whole book in that chapter and shove it in there. And it just doesn't work. It doesn't have the flow of a story. But if you do it like this and you're writing just a piece back and forth, it becomes good. Again, you can see that in blue, I in blue on the next couple of sentences, I wrote those and then I let the work go. Now here, I only had one word that it said before it said something that I didn't like. And I went in, dove in and I wrote some sentences again. So it said understood. And then I jumped in and I said, the commander said, trying to keep his calm composure, this trip was supposed to be humanity's last hope and so on. Um, again, I can go down and continue. Now, if I wanted to write a new sentence, a new paragraph, if I wanted to use this as an assistive tool, there are many ways I can steer it. I could just ask it for the next paragraph. I could just hit send and it's going to use all of the background information just like it is now. So what it had stopped with was silence filling the bridge. They're trying to communicate with the ship. Sir, the first officer spoke to the mic. The alien has responded. They're not happy to see us. How so, Command or how so, Commander Becker wondered aloud. So it's starting to talk. Something's talking back, whatever. I don't like it. I can go back. I can get rid of that entirely. Let's say I wanted to make sure this next line started with dialogue. I can feed it a dialogue cue and hit the button and away it goes. It'll start talking. Sir, they're dead. The words hung out there in uncomfortable silence. No matter how much everyone in the crew tried to pretend the possibility didn't exist, deep down inside, we're all convinced it wasn't possible. It's was only certain. Again, you can notice that the words are not always great. Sometimes the sentences don't have good prose. This particular model is actually running off something I 
I helped build. So I, I built an overlaying model that sits on top of this based on my own books and my own writing. And it's trying to write in my style and it does a pretty effective job of it. Um, but sometimes the words just aren't right. You get rid of them. That's a basic explanation of how I'm writing with it. I use it as an assistive tool. I use it to sort of dive in and write words. And when I finish with the book, you know, the AI has not written the book, but it helped. Um, a second way you can use this, let me go ahead and stop this share real quick. Cause I'm going to talk. Yeah, so about... that's, so, so to summarize, like that's, yeah. that way is to help you with sort of the speed of writing. It's almost like writing with a, with a co-writer where you're like the head writer and you get to like, yeah, say no, <laughs> veto things and, and change things. But then the co-writer will go ahead and keep writing. And then you, you know, you just keep giving it more ideas. It's an endlessly patient co-writer that you can't offend. So you can, you can really, I mean, if you don't like what it says, you can tell it to do it better. You can tell it to do it different. You can tell it to write it in a different style. Um, and then more specifically, you can jump in and make it do different things. If the, if the girl in your romance story just isn't falling in love, you can go in and make those edits. You can change what she's thinking and then she is falling in love and everything from that point is going to follow suit, at least within the context. Remember, you can't keep remembering past that context window. It'll fall away and it's gone. Um, at the same time, I think it's really important to remember that, uh, that I can't write a novel either. I can't sit down in this chair at my keyboard and write all 30 chapters of a novel in one shot. I'm going to have to stop. I'm going to have to plot, plan, produce. Um, so that brings me to the second part of, of what this can do and why. So I talked a little bit about like, this is just raw writing. Like I can put words on paper with it. That helps me as somebody who has some disability as a result of this job and this career. Um, it gives me the ability to have my voice back. I can write just as fast as I ever could, maybe even a little bit faster. And I can put more work out as a result without pain. That's huge. Um, but what about if you didn't want to use a single word of that? it could still be useful. Um, you can be using this like a brainstorming tool, tools like PseudoWrite, ChatGPT. You can ask it for where that story is going to go. What would be a good plot hook here, a good next scene. And then you could take the information it gives you back. And it's sort of like a way to break past your own writer's block. You can be like, I love what that says. I'm going to, I'm going to use something like that, but I'm going to write it my way. And I find a lot of what I do in AI is not using AI to write it's using AI so that I immediately know what not to write. I can have it give me a paragraph and I can say, no, that's not how this story goes. Let me get in here and I'm going to edit that and make that different. And so you might not even need to use a single word from this, but it could still just supercharge the speed of your generation because you never have that moment where you just don't know, where you're sitting there going, how do I even start this chapter or this paragraph or this next line? Yeah, I mean, you talk, we talk sometimes about, you know, a lot of authors have that sort of fear of the blank page, you know, sit down and you, you're staring at the page and you don't know where to go, right? You, you type in this thing, uh, you know, give me a plot of a, you know, a, a sci-fi novel on a starship with, uh, you know, a captain that's, uh, you know, going through a bad divorce or something. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna give you a huge, a big, long novel plot 
point by point plot for your novel. And you can then go in and say, you know, I like this, I like this, uh, but I don't like this, change this, expand on this point, uh, do this, uh, you know, make the first lieutenant a cowboy. And all of a sudden, you know, his dialogue turns into cowboy or he starts talking about his ranch back home. Like, it's just, uh, you know, it's it's really great for, for, like you said, brainstorming all those different ideas. And then picking and choosing and and like you said there it's not it's not going to get offended if you say i i didn't like this part redo this one you know re, re chapter 3 he said uh, i was gonna, this was going to happen instead let's say this happens now it, and now continue on and it'll like replot out everything from that point right yes so yeah it goes even deeper than that because uh this as i said it has generative abilities so um because it's a completion model knowing how to use it to sort of abuse the fact that it will complete what you're writing is extremely useful. Um, for example, I was using Bing AI, which is actually built off of a slightly more advanced version of GPT. It's GPT-4. Um, Bing's new chat mode, it's currently in like, uh, it's in beta, but you can get in with like uh, signing up for their wait list. Anyway, um, their AI is still a little bit in its infancy. It starts to go nuts after you talk to it for a while. But initially, you can give it a command and tell it to build, say, a program or a world. And the example I always go back to is Zork. If you've ever played back in the early 80s, they came out with this program. It was a text-based role-playing game called Zork. And you'd explore- I was there, Gandalf. I was there yeah. 3,000 years ago. Yes, I was too. I know. I've got some gray. Um, but... Uh, Zork is cool because it was this text-based world. You know, you're standing outside of a house. There's a mailbox. Open the mailbox. Pull out the envelope. Look at what it says. Go in the cave. You know, you could do these things and type what you wanted to do. And as long as what you wanted to do was programmed in there, you could do it. But here's the crazy thing. I can tell Bing or ChatGPT that I want to play Zork. And it will produce a version of Zork that is not exactly the same, but it's really close. And it'll let me play the game. And I could type anything. I could be like, I want to pick up a grain of dirt and split the atoms, right? And it will tell me what happens next. It has never been programmed in there. It just exists because the the people who are programmed in there, all of our thoughts that were collectively put on the internet, knows what the next scene of Zork would look like or how they could imagine what it would look like. And so can the AI. So it can literally build entire programs. And this is extremely useful for authors. And when I say programs, I mean with no code. You can, They can code too. You can ask it for Python code and it'll give it to you. But you don't even need code for this. You can tell it to build that app and it just exists. I was sitting in my bathtub trying to come up with a way to... Uh, I was trying to come up with a way to get like better interactions between characters. I wanted to have conversations between me and my female character in my romance novel and make it a little bit more organic. So I'm sitting there thinking of how I could do it. And in 10 minutes, I had built a dating simulator in chat GPT where I could decide I want to swipe left or right on people, pick the one I want, um, start dating them and talking with them. And next thing you know, I was building entire conversations for my characters just by sending text messages back and forth to an imaginary person. But no piece of the code I'm describing actually exists. It just looks at the model and says, what would the next screen look like and shows it to me. Um, Right now, this is in its infancy, but it's going to get pretty wild. I've already done experiments all the way up to video 
um, where I'm producing video from text and it's wild. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've done similar things with the text-based adventure where I didn't even say Zora. I mean, I used to play Zork, but I, I was more like, uh, let's play a text-based adventure. Uh, we're on a, on a spaceship. Right. And then it just describes a spaceship and it's like, what, what do you want to do next? Now? Oh, you know, look at the control panel. It was the same sort of things you used to do with Zork, like, uh, open the envelope or whatever. And yeah, it's, it's generating the next response based on what you said. And it'll never be, like you know once in a while you'd hit zork uh walls where they haven't coded that right and you, you'd type something and it's like i don't understand that command or something like that right it'll never say that because it's just coming it up but at the same time there's no end game right it doesn't really have an idea of how that would end so i mean you know you could play it but you're never going to get to some satisfying ending because it'll just keep going and going for as long as you want to keep doing it it'll even stop i mean it'll get it'll go nuts because like i said it can't remember the context and so after you play long enough it doesn't really know what it's doing and it starts going crazy bing especially so um this new ai they've put out if you talk to it for 10 minutes it's going to start going crazy and freaking out and i mean it says things that you're like oh man is this thing okay (laughs) it starts repeating itself and freaking out and asking you not to turn it off it's pretty weird (laughs) the mankind created uh, artificial intelligence and you gave it a stroke i i didn't mean to (laughs) i I might have meant i was to be fair i like playing around on the edges of a model like this and seeing what it can do and what they can do is not what they show you so if you go and log into ChatGPT right now, for example, what it can do is not what it can do. Um, when it first came out in late November, I didn't sleep for three days. Um, my wife finally came to me and said, you've got to go to bed. You can't, I don't know what you're doing here, but you can't keep doing it. And I hadn't slept. Why can't you just look at pornography like a normal husband? I, I know, I know. <laughs> but I didn't sleep because it was magic. Um, it was producing completely unrestricted content. There was nothing stopping you from getting a romance out of it. Um, you could build applications in it very easily and it would just go along with you and let you do that. And then they started restricting that because they're trying to pull back a little bit on the creativity of some of these tools. Um, ChatGPT, which is ultimately going to become Bing as GPT-4, the goal there is to try to build a search engine that isn't too opinionated (laughs) and that isn't too creative. They actually want it to kind of stick to the facts. And the second we take that creative element out, we take away the ability to write. Um, That doesn't mean that writing with these tools is going away. It just means that you might not be writing with Bing (laughs) because they've restricted it. They've put an entire set of instructions on top of it. And when you ask it a question, those instructions are appended to your question. And so it's like, hey, don't call me Sydney. I'm Bing and I can't do this and I can't do that. And I can't, oh, there better not be any kissing in this book or else, right? And so it'll actually stop you and block you from doing that. Um, which doesn't mean you can't use these tools. It just means, again, you have to think about what's this tool good for? Which tool can I use for what I'm trying to accomplish? And that comes down to just understanding the tools, understanding what they're good for. I don't think they're good for everybody. Um, I think there are plenty of people, when I was working with ghostwriters, I knew authors that tried and couldn't do it, just said, this is terrible. I don't want to work. I feel like I'm writing the book for them. You know, I'm working so hard. And uh, I can admit to seeing that to some degree. I mean, there's ghostwritten books I picked up that I had to write more than they did, um, which was fine, but it was still a lot of work. And there was moments where I said, why didn't I just write this stupid thing myself? So I think some people will benefit more and it does help if you're used to working in a text environment. Um, And I know as authors, we all are, but 
as somebody who grew up using MUDs and things of that sort, I feel like I learned a second language. I know how to manipulate these programs really well. I know how to prompt them and ask them specific questions to get the answer I want. Um, Yeah. And I think that that's going to be one of those things that's, you know, a lot of people are worried, you know, oh, this is going to kill a lot of jobs and stuff. And it will. I mean, no doubt it will. (laughs) But, you know, there'll be other jobs like I think I can foresee where, you know, uh, learning how to prompt to get the result that you want is going to become a skill that is a learned skill that, you know, people are going to be teaching and people are going to be experts on on creating prompts because they're not just a lot of people will be just, uh, you know, give me, um, you know, a YA story about this. And that. You know, they'll say a couple things and then it just won't be what they want and they'll give up. But like, I've seen some of the stuff that you've done uh, and the prompts that you've come up with and they're super detailed. And, you know, like you were saying, uh, you're not going to use Bing necessarily or even ChatGPT to write your novel, but uh, other people are building these other tools like Novel AI, Pseudowrite, all that stuff where they're taking that technology and they're not restricting it to, to keeping the creativity out of it. They're, they're enhancing that part of it so that it can help you. And other people are doing other things. Like if we look at, um, and you know, we didn't want to talk about this too much, but just so people understand, uh, you know, stable diffusion, all the stuff that people are using to create images um, is also based on the same sort of technology. And, you know, you've shown me some of the images that you've come up with that are incredible. And I've seen the the prompts that you've given it. And it's not, you know, give me a billionaire, uh, you know, a guy who's uh, in a suit. You, you, it's like three lines of, you know, almost keywords, keyword, keyword, keyword. And so that you're getting a super specific image, photorealistic or, or, uh, you know, cartoonish or anime, you know, you can get it to be any style and it's incredible, but it's the ability to uh, understand the prompting, uh, what you have to ask it to get what you want back. That's going to become so key, I think, in the future. Sure. I would agree with that a hundred percent. I think that's huge with, uh, you know, with images, you're not just asking it what you want to see. You're also telling it what you don't. Like you might be like, put your hands in your pocket because I don't want to see those freakish deformed hands on the uh, that it puts out. Oh, it yeah. puts out hands with like seven fingers and things. And when I say that, I'm saying like it, it makes a hand that doesn't look normal. And so literally you'll write into the text for negative prompt, don't show me something that's deformed or something of that sort. Unless you're looking for something with that, which that'd be fine too. You'd ask it for that and it would give it to you. If you were doing a book about a hunchback from Notre Dame, you could build that image. You would just have to be very specific about what you're looking for. (laughs) It's tricky though. Um, And it definitely is based on, you know, the training of the models, how intelligent the model is. Um, Older models are less capable. Newer models are becoming more, but I think we're getting to the point where, production of photorealistic people is obviously already possible. That's very easy. Um, People that don't exist. I mean, just anybody, any pose, any position. I've been taking them where I'm literally standing in front of a white wall, taking pictures of myself in a pose and then turning myself into the billionaire muscular dude on the cover. And so I have several books out right now that have me on the cover, but not me. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's really incredible what you can do. And I mean, you know, Okay, so listen, we've we've talked about plotting and, and brainstorming, uh, you know, even cover design people are doing it. Uh, what else can this do? It can it can edit, right? I mean, it's not going to necessarily replace editing right now, but it can certainly be a good first pass of your of your stuff. You, I mean, maybe you can't feed it the full. Although, actually, you said in in like novel AI, you can feed it as some some like ninety thousand words. 
yeah. or something like that, right? Yeah, in, so, in these programs, you can feed as much as you'd like. Um, and in something like ChatGPT or a, a program like that, you would have to limit how much you feed it, obviously, because it's going to limit its context. Even in these programs, though, even in programs that are built for this, it still has a context window, a small area that it can see and an area that it can't. So in that instance, if I fed it 90,000 words, it can't see all 90,000. That's not that useful. So more reasonably, you would ask it to edit a chapter or a piece of a chapter, depending on how much you have for that window. But you could do that for the entire book. You can sit there and edit piece by piece. I no longer use an outside editor and I've used well, outside editors for a decade, but I don't so, them with so this. Things. So this would be better, like more for proofreading than like developmental editing. Could because be. developmental, you kind of have to have the whole idea of the story. You have to remember that in chapter one, her eyes were green. And then later in chapter 15, her eyes are blue, right? If you're not going to remember those things, you're not going to be able to, to catch things like that, right? But proofreading, right. you're going to miss, you're going to get all the grammar and the, you know. And so you're, you're saying like it's grammar is perfect and it's spelling is perfect. And, uh, you know, you can basically yeah. get away with that. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, it can do both to some degree. So developmental editing, obviously, if you're trying to do the whole book all at once and figure out what needs to happen, it can't do that, at least not yet. And probably, I mean, I don't know if that'll be the case anytime soon. That that might be far future. Who knows? Um, but uh, it can do smaller pieces of that, though. You could give it a scene and ask it to change the scope of that scene or where it's going or where it ends up or what it's trying to accomplish. And it can do that with clever prompting. Um, but again, you're working in chapter size chunks, not novel chunks. When I used to edit for ghostwriting, when I would edit books that I got for ghostwriting, I called it cognitive editing, where I would just start at chapter one and read the book. And as I read the book for the first time, I would edit as I went. And sometimes that would lead me into problems because I would change something that became a major plot point later. And I had to do significant rewriting later to fix it. Um, if you're editing that way developmentally, this actually works great because you're able to sort of change as you go to make the story what you want it to be. And so I call it more like story steering than story writing in that way. If you're editing in that direction, you're trying to just change the flow of the story. And that always felt very natural to me in my writing and in my work, but I recognize that's not natural to everybody. And so I don't see this overtaking all developmental editing or something like that. If you've got a good developmental editor that's getting in there, reading your whole book and making changes sweeping across the unit, you're not going to get that out of an AI. And I don't think you're going to get meaningful content like that out of an AI anytime soon. Proofreading though? Oh yeah. Throw in your chapter and I mean, it'll proofread, it'll fix, it'll make suggestions. You can ask it to give you suggestions. You can even ask it to pretend it's a reader and to review your chapter. And it can look it over and give you thoughts and improvements and suggestions based on what you fed it. Pretty cool. If only we could give them all uh, Amazon accounts and they could just review our books for us, right? <laughs> if only I could get it to buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe um, and then briefly, let's just touch on this because uh, it's something that, you know, is, is sort of in the news and stuff. The ethics of all of this, like, you know, what are your thoughts around that? I try to use any tool I use ethically. So the way I look at this is you could use a salad fork illegally if you really wanted to, right? Um, that doesn't mean that a salad fork is inherently dangerous or illegal. It's just, it could be used in an illegal way. And these tools absolutely could be used in ways that are illicit, malicious, negative, bad for authors, bad for the community. 
I mean, if I sat here and I asked my writer to just keep writing and just kept clicking the button, it would spit something out that had some semblance of writing. It would look like writing. But when you went to read it, it would be constantly losing the script, going in weird directions. It wouldn't have a concise ending. It would keep summarizing in weird ways. Every chapter would end with like, uh, and she knew this was going to be great forever. Or, you know, it's going to have some weird concise ending at the end of the chapter. It's not going to sound right. And I won't lie to you. I've seen books like that out there. I mean, I know that there are, there are going to be people that will put that kind of content out into the world. But I have the feeling that that will likely be rejected by the readers, that that sort of work is negative. It doesn't really, it doesn't have any humanity in it. And I don't mean that to say we're somehow special. I mean that to say like, I want to read a book that surprises and inspires me in interesting ways. And the AI can't write that book yet. Um, Maybe someday and we'll revisit that. But right now you really need that human element. So when I look at it from an ethical standpoint, I try to be ethical with my tools. If I'm writing, I'm not going to let this thing write a whole novel. It can't, it needs help. And so I'm deeply involved. Um, if I finish up a book, you know, it might be half of the words, more than half of the words that I've physically typed in myself. And then even if you consider that and go, well, wait a second, half the words came from an AI. Well, yeah, but remember I'm making edits in line, like in the middle of a paragraph, I might make a change that changes the way that she thinks. And so now I kind of know what's going to happen in the next sentence. And so when it spits it out, I'm like, yeah, that's what I was going to write or close enough. Let me edit a couple words and we're on with the races. Again, as long as you have a really good prompt up front or good context, you can produce what you want out of it without having to write all of it. Um, That's really good, too, if you're writing a partial sentence, write a partial sentence, hit the button, and it'll finish the sentence roughly how you would have expected to do it um, just quicker. So ethically, when you look at this, I look at it in a couple different ways. One way you can be unethical is just trying to produce a giant book from nothing with no effort to steer it and publish that. That's going to be a bad customer experience. It's not going to lead to positive for you or anyone else. Um, the second ethical consideration is what were these models trained on? And so there are some lawsuits out there right now, especially against the image generators that are related to was this model trained? on copywritten work, work that I didn't allow it to be trained on. Like I'm an artist, I made a bunch of paintings and they trained it on those paintings. And now if it generates new work, is it generating new work because of those paintings? Is is it somehow stealing from those paintings? And to some degree, I think that's more of a misunderstanding of how the, the system works. I mean, these programs, they don't maintain copies of the paintings. They just have an idea of what that painting would look like. The trouble is, a lot of these apps were programmed with tags that included things like author names or signatures. So maybe I type in a specific artist and it can produce art that looks like that artist did it. Um, It can do the same thing in terms of writing. If you're writing with one of these things and ask it to write like a famous author, it might have enough context to give you something similar. And as I said, because this is picking the most likely response, you might end up with content that sounds very similar. I mean, it might get close to plagiarism in that instance. If you're if you're asking it to write a rabid dog out there that's going to attack some people in a pinto in the style of <clears throat> Stephen King, it's going to try to write Cujo, right? And so again, it can be used unethically in that way, which would be bad, bad for everybody. I mean, if you're trying to steal somebody else's voice and write in that way, you're going to end up with a book that's potentially accidentally plagiarizing and definitely not really 
your book. I, I would feel like you should build your own voice in your stories and try to guide them in ways. So I try to stay away from that aspect of things. I think that, uh, I think that we'll see in the near future as these lawsuits progress, whether or not the companies trained their models on legally obtained or illicitly attained materials. And that'll change the way I view it. I mean, obviously, if, it, if they came out and said, hey, you know, this is made with a whole bunch of stolen copyright material and it's spitting out stuff that they wrote and oh my goodness, that would be bad. That would be a negative. And that's something we'd consider in the future. It's not something I'm terribly concerned about now because I've looked into the background of what these models are built off of and I'm comfortable with what they've been built off of. Um, Again, legal system's complicated. Who knows? We'll see what comes up. It shouldn't really harm me as an end user Um, here in the U.S. anyway. I'm U.S. based. Um, There are things like ex post facto laws, fair use rules and regulations. And uh, ex post facto is specifically forbidden. So like they can't make something illegal in the future and come back on you for something you did today. Um, I don't see using these tools as illicit in that way, but there could come a point where they say, oh, you know, that tool was made unethically. It should be pulled from the internet. And then you would have to stop using it if you were an ethical author. Um, the other one could be, um, we have to remember when we talk ethics, it isn't just about what's legal and illegal. Um, there are companies involved that can make decisions on their own. So Amazon could decide we don't want an AI cover on our on our platform. And you would have to accept that and say, I'm not going to have AI covers. I have to pull that image down. Something like that could happen. Um, I know we've been together long enough to have seen several upheavals with Amazon where it's changed the game overnight. And uh, yeah. that could absolutely happen again. And it's something you have to consider. So I think an ethical user of AI is going to use it to assist them in writing books, in generating content, not to replace them. Um, Nobody, no author. I mean, I certainly don't want to be replaced by a computer. Um, I I don't want a computer to spit out words for me that I don't mean. I want to be involved deeply in that process and to put out things that are meaningful to me, good stories. I've joked in the past that I, I made my you know, I made my living all the money that I've made in this business. I made it on a mountain of mediocrity. Like I made it on books that weren't the best. And I say that because I'm my harshest critic. I, I'm always looking down on my own books and saying that just, that's not as good as that other person's. Why can't I write like them? And uh, this doesn't make me write like them. It doesn't, but it does improve me. I, I feel like I'm writing better now than I ever have. I feel like the skill set that I've built up in this business allows me to do more with it. And that I can do that ethically and intelligently and make profit. And it's working. Um, So, you know, that's also important. There are books in the top 100 right now that were written with AI assistance. That's fascinating. You know what? Uh, Unfortunately, we've run out of time. I think we could probably talk for hours on this. But what a a great way to to wrap that up. Oh, my goodness. Well, Nathan, that has been an incredible, incredible uh, insight into AI. Craig, do you have any thoughts? Listen, I agree. And uh, I think that, you know, this is one of those things. We're at the ground floor of something, the way that, you know, Google changed sort of the world with their search and spreadsheets changed everything when they came along. Like, you know, like things that we look at now that we just take for granted. But when they came out, they were such a big game changer. I think we're going to look back and and see this as one of those things. And it's rare that you recognize it when it comes right when it comes out and you're able to, if you do recognize it, jump on it when it's early, right? And so I think that that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is this is such a new thing right now. Authors, I think in general, some some of them understand it, but some of them 
are just there. They haven't yet seen how this can really, really help them. And I think that um, the, the quicker authors get on board, uh, the less chance they'll have at being left behind because there's so many ways that this is going to make their lives easier, improve their work, earn them more money. Um, and we're just, it's just the tip of the iceberg right now. It's just going to, it's going to change so rapidly. We're going to figure stuff out. Um, and we're going to keep talking about all this stuff as we do, right. To help everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, Nathan, where can people, well, if you, if, if you have anything to hawk, so to speak, where can people find you to, to? I've got nothing to hawk. I'm just here to help authors. I mean, I've always have been. Um, at some point in the future, I might put something together. But, you know, I mean, that's always been the case. I sort of go along and I help as I can here and there. I've done everything from write books to help authors to have talks like this and give keynote speeches at conferences. So um, I'm sure there'll be more from me in the future. But for now, this is it. <laughs> That is amazing. Thank you so much, Nathan, for joining us. Hopefully everyone listening has found this a fascinating conversation. If so, make sure to, to drop a comment down below, slap that like button. If you haven't already, whether you're listening as a podcast or whether you're watching us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and we'll be back next week with another special guest. Thank you so much for supporting us. Bye.